welcome to the Mint Podcast, where we dive deep into God's Word and discuss practical ways to live it out. This season, we're doing real talk about how we can contend for breakthrough in the most difficult and painful parts of our story. I can't wait to see what God, the commander of heaven's armies, is going to do as we press into him. If you want more of what you hear on the show, there are additional free resources, merchandise, and donation opportunities available at amintageisler.com. We're a listener-funded podcast, and we appreciate your support so much. Let's go run the race. Well, welcome to the show. I am so glad you're here, and I can't wait to dive deep into God's Word together and discuss practical ways we can live it out. This season, we are focusing on cultivating the heart of a warrior, learning to do spiritual battle and take back ground the enemy has stolen. And I believe that God wants to equip and empower us to experience breakthrough in the toughest parts of our stories. So we are studying great warriors of the faith, and we're taking tangible, practical steps towards the Lord of Heaven's armies, our commander, and we are trusting that he is going to have the victory. Amen? Amen. So let's pray, and then I will introduce our new series to you, and I'm so excited about this one. It's called Here I Am. Let's pray. O Lord of Heaven's armies, you alone are worthy of all the glory, the honor, and the praise. And so because of who you are, we hand you the authority as well. We bow low before you. We say, your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, in the next few minutes, will you give us eyes that can see you, ears that can hear you, and hearts that are courageous enough to follow you. Show us things we have not yet seen. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, 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 God is doing big things in the Geisler household, and I'm starting today's show by sharing about it because it's actually the foundation for the series we're starting today called Here I Am. And our church always does a 21-day fast together in the month of January, and if you go back through all the years that we've been doing the Mint podcast, almost every January or February, we have a show about the fast and what God has done in our family during the fast, and this this year was no exception. In the church, we we choose to fast together for 21 days, but it's not regulated what you fast. And so sometimes we have abstained from certain types of food and done the Daniel fast, or sometimes we have abstained from sugar or soda. Um, this year, because of my health, because I already am so limited in my diet, and if you don't know, I'm currently in the battle of my life for my health. And I'm on a really restricted diet, so I really only eat about four or five foods, you guys. I'm getting so sick of them, but it's what my body can handle. So I live a fasted lifestyle. And my husband said, I just don't think it's a good idea to remove any more foods from your diet. I said, you know what? I think I agree. And so as a family, we decided to pick something to press into the Lord that we were going to not do for 21 days. And I would highly recommend if you've never done this. So this year, we turned off basically all electronics. We didn't watch TV except for playoff football games on Sunday. We would have this three-hour window where we could watch the playoff football game. My husband's a football coach. My boys all love football. And so that was the caveat to getting everybody to sign up, even my little boys who are seven and nine, was that we could still watch playoff football. The Lord understands he loves football. But other than that, we did not have TV. We didn't have electronics, no social media, no news feeds on the phone. We went electronic free. 
And in place of it, our goal was to spend time in scripture, reading, memorizing verses, versus listening to worship music, that kind of a thing. So this was a really different fast for us because usually it's about food. And let me tell you what, I am so crabby when I have to fast food. Turns out my body loves sugar and caffeine just as much as me. So the one of the weird things about this year is I wasn't really crabby at all because I was still eating the foods that I loved. But it was unique how restless I felt and how exhausting it was to not be able to just get on my phone and get or watch TV and numb out from my life. That was hard. And I didn't anticipate how hard it was going to be or how much I relied on that because with my health battle, I feel constant pain. And what social media does for me is it helps distract me and not think about my pain. The same for the TV. When I'm watching a show or a movie, I can get into it and not think about my pain. And so for me, it's really a coping mechanism in a way to escape constant pain. And so to have that be removed was tough at first. It felt like there was so much time to fill and I was trying to distract myself. So I kept busy. And then after the first week, I'm like, I have never been so tired. My house has never been so clean. I'm caught up on laundry. I've done all these projects because I never sat down because I was still trying to distract myself. But what I didn't do was a very good job of slowing down, being still, and listening for the Lord to speak because I was filling my time to escape the pain. So at first it was really tough, but then I settled into it uh, towards the last couple weeks. And I got to tell you what, it was hard for my boys too, but they, after the first or second day, didn't even ask for TV. It was crazy. And we played every single board game and card game that we had in our cabinet most days by lunchtime and then it was like oh my word what are we gonna do to fill the rest of the day we've played all the toys we've played all the games we've already went outside what are we gonna do to fill our time oh sad you realize how much time you actually waste on electronics but it was really neat and by the end of it we all loved it and on the last day of the fast it was so interesting because even our little boys who are seven and nine said this was so much fun and we don't want to go back to the way it was. And so the only time we've had the TV on, the fast has been over for a week. The only time we had it on was for the Super Bowl last night. That's it. Otherwise, we haven't turned it back on. So it was cool in that it, it brought about a different kind of change for my family that I wasn't even anticipating. And uh, another thing I think that was fun for me is that when I was on my treadmill then walking in the mornings, instead of being on social media, I started memorizing scripture. And that has been so good for me. It's so much harder the older I get to memorize. When I was little, could read it a couple times and boom, it was just right in there. And now it doesn't work that way. I would walk for 20 minutes, a half hour on work on one verse the whole time and still maybe not have it by the end. But it was so good for me. And that became the new cadence running through my head. And so that was those were just kind of side benefits that we saw that aren't even related to what I'm about to share with you. But just to say that it was so good in so many ways for our family. And like I said, the goal is to take whatever time you were dedicating to the thing you give up and put it towards pressing into the Lord. And so while I was memorizing scriptures, I also started studying the book of 1 Samuel and the story of Samuel's life. I'm not even sure why, except that on the very first day, that's where God brought me. And so uh, that was just an interesting spot. I hadn't read much about Samuel's life. My husband, Ben, at the same time, without talking about it, with me, he started reading about Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22. 
And he came home one day and he's like, you know, I've been studying this story for the last couple of days and it's so cool. And it's the story of when God asked Abraham to put his only son, Isaac, whom he had waited for till he was a hundred years old and through whom God had said all of these people would come through, right? So this is the hinge pin of the promise for Abraham. God asked him to put his son Isaac on the altar. And so Ben is reading about that story. And then I'm reading about 1 Samuel 1 in the very beginning where this it's about this woman, Hannah. And she's married to a man and she's barren. But her husband's other wife, Peninnah, has children and often taunts her. And so Hannah is just heartbroken. And every year when they go to the temple, she begs the Lord at the altar to give her a son. And so in 1 Samuel 1, she's actually so upset and crying so hard at the altar that Eli the priest comes in and he thinks she's drunk because she's so weepy. I mean, she's ugly crying. That's what you need to read right there. She's having an ugly cry. And we've all been there, right? I know I've been there many, many times in the last few years. But it also just kind of gives you a glimpse of where the state of Israel was at that time, God's chosen people, is that Eli thought she was drunk because that was just a common occurrence among the people. They had really wandered away from the Lord, but Hannah had remained faithful for all of her days. And so she cries out to the Lord and she says, if you will give me a son, I will give him back to you and he will serve you all of his days. Well, guess what? God heard her prayer. And it says in due time, he answered her prayer. And then she makes good on her promise and she drops off her precious boy, her promise, the fulfillment of what she prayed for at age three. So already we're seeing similarities in that Ben is talking about Abraham and his precious son. And I'm reading a story about Hannah and her precious son. And then the next day I read about in Samuel 3, Samuel as a little boy, who's now they think about at 12, and he's growing up and he's living with Eli the priest, and he hears God speak to him and call his name for the first time. So this is kind of cool. Now we're, we're diving into this son. We're diving into Samuel and his life, and he's following the Lord and serving at the temple. And then Ben starts sharing about what he's learning in his story. So I know I'm going back and forth here, but as the days go by, God is speaking to us and revealing to us things as we continue to study these scriptures. So Ben starts sharing about how it struck him that when God calls Abraham's name, Abraham's response is, here I am. And it was, here I am, when Abraham didn't even know what God would want of him the first time. God actually calls his name again when he puts his son on the altar and he says the same thing, here I am. And as I was listening to Ben talk about how God called Abraham's name and Abraham responds, here I am, I said, you know what's funny? I just read 1 Samuel 3 today and God calls Samuel's name and Samuel responds with, here I am. Isn't that interesting? And he's like, yeah, that's always struck me. I just thought, what a great answer to give to God. And I said, yeah, that's so interesting. It's in my story too. I wonder if it's the same word. So because I'm a nerd, I went on a word search and it turns out, both stories have the same Hebrew word used there for here I am, and it's hineni. Now, it's only used a handful of times in scripture, but it's in really amazing ways. It's used with Abraham. It's used with Moses. It's used with Samuel. It's said by Isaiah, and, and then the Lord says it. So hineni, or here I am, is not a location word. This is not these men 
responding to God, giving them their GPS location so God can find them. It's not like God couldn't see Abraham when he called his name. Abraham wasn't saying, here I am, God, on 7680 Alden Way, I'm right here. That's not what he was saying. See, God can see everything. He doesn't need our location. He knows where we are. No, this response is more of a, I'm listening and I'm ready to serve you no matter what. It's a posture of surrender and obedience before the Lord. I am here. I'm listening to what you ask of me, and I'm ready to carry it out. These men utter these words before the Lord even tells them what he has for them. That's just their heart posture before the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Hineni. And what makes it so incredible to me is that in all of these cases, God was about to ask them to do something incredibly difficult and sacrificial or even scary and hard. So he did this little heart check and he called them by name and they responded with Hineni and he knew they were ready. Well, Ben and I then started saying to each other, we want our family posture before the Lord to be Hineni. And the Lord is clearly, since he brought both of us to this same word without us even trying, He's clearly trying to say something to us. He's clearly calling us out. He's doing a heart check to see what our response will be. And so we started to pray. Lord, Hineni, here we are. What do you have for us? And just asking him to reveal what he had. Hineni, here we are, ready, available, and listening. Show us and we'll obey. We know you see our situation. We know you see how impossible it is, and we give you everything. Show us what to do. Amen. Because, you know, Ben and I have felt like we're kind of at a Red Sea moment for a while. We've had a really hard year. Physically, my health has been difficult. Financially, we're so strapped. Ben has gone back from construction into teaching, and my health issues have cost us thousands upon thousands of dollars. And we are stuck in this place of we're living in a fixer-upper. We can't afford to finish it. Yet Ben's working all the time to try to pay off all these bills we have, and I'm not getting any better. But yet God was asking us to continue doing ministry, which wasn't paying what we needed. And so we're like, okay, God, we're trying to follow you. This is like not working at all anywhere. This is super stressful. We we need rescuing from it. And so we that's what we originally started the fast for. And then we want, because we wanted clarity. And then God brought us that word Hanani. So we were like, okay, well, show us what you have. And if you have listened to the show for any length of time, you know, that for years I've battled limes and fibromyalgia with all kinds of complications. I have low iron, which means I don't get enough oxygen. I don't have any stomach acid, so my stomach doesn't want to digest food. I get tired. I get dizzy. Uh, we've had this fixer up for, for two and a half years. We're far over budget. We're not close to already getting it done. We can't afford to finish it. It is our dream home. It's been like a sanctuary for me as I'm stuck at home sick and the beautiful flowing water in the backyard and laying out by the pool. I mean, it really has been such an amazing blessing for us. And then we've had all this job stuff with Ben where he's gone from teaching and coaching into construction and back again. So this is a long running problem for us uh, where we're like, we wish God would have solved it a long time ago, but we've really just been battling. And so we were like, okay, Lord Hineni, what do you have? Show us what you have. And it's so interesting, the clarity that comes with a fast. 
things become so clear that you didn't realize before because you've turned down the noise. See, we didn't have the distractions. The very thing that was the hardest for me at first became such a blessing because my brain had space and it had margin and I wasn't always busy. And Ben also, that things just became really, really clear and really easy. All these things that I just explained that we've been confused or not sure what to do with for the last three or four years just became crystal clear on the fast. Isn't that unbelievable? And even though we didn't experience any kind of like miraculous breakthrough or my health amazingly got better or, you know, a million dollars just showed up on our doorstep or in the mailbox, yeah, that did not happen. But God made things clear and he spoke. And so now we're in the process of walking out obedience. And the long and short of it is, is that we had an Abraham moment. God asked us to put something on the altar. And so I want to share about Abraham and his story first. And then after we dive into that, I'll share about our altar moment. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 22. Now, Abraham is a pretty happy man at this point. He's over 100 years old, but God had promised him in Genesis 15 that he would bless him with a son. And then in chapter 17, God promises even after Abraham tries to get a son his own way by sleeping with a servant. I mean, sometimes it's hard to wait on God's timing, right? We rush ahead. We try to do it on our own. Oops, our bad. That's what Abraham did. But God was gracious and he kept his promise that Abraham would be the father of many nations. And so at age 100, Abraham and Sarah get their heart's desire, their longest standing dream. And though they're past the age of bearing children, At 100, they get their son. Isaac's born and all is going well. And they are literally living the dream. That's the hinge pin of all God's promises to them. And he is such a blessing. Isaac, and then. This is the and then moment. Have you ever had an and then moment? As if everything was going fine and then, right? This is what happens. Chapter 22. I'm going to read it. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am, Hanani. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. So the next morning, Abraham got up early and he saddled his donkey and he took two of his servants with him along with his son, Isaac, and he chopped wood for a fire for the burnt offering and he set out for the place that God had told him. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there and we'll come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. And that yes, my son is also Hineni. It's Abraham saying to his son, here I am, ready and available to you. I'm right here with you. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Verse 8, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and he arranged the wood on it and he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, Hineni, here I am. 
Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. And then Abraham looked up and he saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named the place Yahweh Yaira, which means the Lord will provide. And to this day, people still use that name as a proverb on the mountain of the Lord. It will be provided. Just wow. Their dream, their most precious thing that they had went on the altar. And Abraham responded Hineni before and after God revealed what he wanted them to give up for him. Friends, we really felt like through our fast as we prayed and talked and crunched numbers that God was calling us to put our dream home on the altar and give it up. The home that we've put two and a half years of blood, sweat, and many, many tears into. And all of our money and then some. The house that we saw ourselves rocking grandkids in and hosting ministry events in. The house that we have been sick in and love the view of the river and feel like it's a sanctuary. This house. The house that we were supposed to be able to stay in and not have to leave. That house had to go on the altar. And one day when we were on the fast, I had this conversation with my parents on the phone and my dad said something that really struck me because he I hadn't even told them about the whole Hineni thing yet. And he said, well, we really feel like God has called Ben to teach and coach and he's called you to do ministry. And it struck me because we'd been talking about how God called those men's name. He called Abraham's name. He called Samuel's name. And my dad said, we think God has called you to do these two jobs. And we agreed. See, when God has something for you, he calls you by name and then you get to respond and obey. And it's like, wow, well, we're both being called to jobs that don't lend themselves to us being able to afford this house anymore. We've been spinning our wheels. It's just not working. We've been trying to take side jobs like crazy, fix it ourselves and trying to chase something that God clearly didn't have for us that's outside of our calling. And it left us exhausted and stressed and broke. You know what I think is so interesting? As I did my research on the word Hineni, and you'll see how this fits in, but you know where in the Bible Hineni is obviously not said? It's missing. It's in Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden, right after Adam and Eve sin, and they eat the forbidden fruit, and God calls them, and instead of replying Hineni, here we are, Lord, they say, we heard you and we hid. See, that's the other response. When God calls you to put something on the altar, you get to decide if you respond Hineni or if you say, I heard you and I was afraid, so I hid. And we knew we had a decision to make, but we also knew Hineni meant we put the house on the altar and we sell it. I didn't want anything to do with saying to God, I heard you and I hid. No thanks. I've had my season of disobedience to the Lord. I have no desire to go back there. So I want to be in a posture of Hineni. On the last day of the fast, we met with some friends and he's a realtor and we came up with a plan to finish the house by May 1st and put it on the market. And even these friends coming to our aid to help us is a miracle in itself. It's God making a way where there was no way. But I'm gonna be honest, we have had a lot of tears. This is not easy. I'm so sick right now and I'm so tired and this feels super overwhelming. But we do have complete peace that 
this is what we're supposed to do to move forward. And we have no idea where we're even going, <laughs> which is a whole nother thing because I'm a planner and there is no plan. But we are determined to be faithful and stay in a posture of hineni. Lord, I am ready and available to serve you. So how does this make us better warriors? How does it empower us to defeat the enemy and find breakthrough in the toughest parts of our stories? Well, I'll tell you what, it opens the door for God's will and plan for your life. And that's always the best for you. It puts you smack dab in his army, which is the winning side. It's an open door, an invitation to something greater because sometimes in our battles, we get stuck. And we try to do it our own way. And we try to solve it with our own plan. And we spin our wheels like Ben and I were doing, trying to hold on to tight, tightly to something that we just needed to open our hands and release. And God might be asking you to put something on the altar. Maybe the way that you've been trying to win your battle that you're facing isn't the way that God has for you. Maybe you are clinging to something that is actually standing in your way from the breakthrough. Maybe God is doing a heart check for you this morning or this afternoon, whenever you're listening to this, to see if you will obey him when he calls your name. So what does it look like practically? How do we walk out Hineni? As I thought about this, I was reminded of a time that Jesus spoke in Matthew. So I'm going to flip there really quickly because what does Hineni look like, right? It's such a great phrase. It's so powerful. It makes me cry when I even say the word. But how do we walk it out? Faith without works is dead, right? You can know Hanani, but if you're not empowered to do Hanani, it doesn't help you. But in Matthew 16, Peter is talking to Jesus and, and he's like, Lord, you, you're you not going to die. You're not going to be killed. And Jesus looks at him and he says, get away from me. You're a trap for me. You see things from a human point of view, not God's. Isn't that the truth? Then he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And so I, that to me is the posture of Hineni, that every day we get up and we die to self, we take up our cross and we follow. That's the attitude of Hineni. So here's your practical steps. Number one, pray. Ask God to call your name and to show you what to do. Say Hineni to him. Just try it in a prayer. Lord, here, here am I, Hineni. Here am I, Hineni. I am ready and available to serve you. Just try asking. There's so much evidence in scripture that when we ask, when we seek, we will find. When we ask to hear, he grants us hearing. When we ask to have eyes to see, he grants us sight. So just ask for the Lord to call your name so that you have a chance to say Hineni. Number two, consider a fast. We talk about this every January and February, and maybe this isn't part of your spiritual upbringing. Maybe you're new to the faith. We have a lot of new listeners around here, which is amazing. But consider doing a fast. There are many different kinds. There's different lengths of time. I would encourage you, if you are not a veteran to fasting, that start small. Take one day and maybe go without food and just do beverages, or maybe take three days and do that, or do a social media fast, or take get rid of all your caffeine and sugar for one day and just see how you do it. In those times when you miss that thing, pray, or read your Bible, or turn on worship music. But I would encourage you to read your Bible because God will reveal things to you you don't normally see because the noise is turned down. 
you will hear things you don't normally hear because the noise is turned down. So I would just, I would just invite anybody, whether you have tried fasting or not, to just jump in and just try it. Just even give it one day if you've never done it before. The third practical tip I have is to read scripture. Find a story and then press in and read it. And read it every day for a couple days. Don't just glimpse at it and, and read through it as fast as you can and then check your little box and move on. You know, and here's where sometimes I struggle with those yearly Bible reading plans is so many people, I think, just read through to check the box that they read their whole Bible in a year. But did they really take anything from it? I, re- I, in the last few years, have taken six months to a year to study one book of the Bible to get all that I can out of it. And what I do is I read it many times and I read it out loud and I read it quietly and I ask God to show me things. But then I also go online and do a little research. So you can type in your scripture. Let's say you want to read 1 Samuel. Type in 1 Samuel 1 commentary and see what comes up. Now, a few commentaries that I would recommend, and I understand this is geeky, this is nerdy. You might hate school and everything associated with school, but I promise you you'll be rewarded with fruit if you press in. But a couple that I really like are the blueletterbible.com and workingpreacher.com. I believe you can trust those sources. And what I like to tell people is when you are reading on the internet as a safeguard, make sure you're going to a trusted source. But also, if I don't find the information in three or four sources that confirm it with each other, that this is indeed, in fact, what the passage means, I tend to not take it as seriously. If I only read it in one or two spots, it's like, well, maybe. But if it lines up, all together and all of the commentators are saying the same thing. It's like, well, they're, the percentage is high that it's going to be accurate. But you, I promise you, you're going to get so much out of every story if you take the time to do this. It's going to be unbelievable. And that's the heart behind this series is we are going to press in over the next weeks, dive deep into each story where the word hinami is used, and you're going to see things that you wouldn't normally see when you don't dive deep. Uh, My fourth practical tip is to talk with godly wise mentors or families or friends. If you need help having a posture of Hanani or you're not sure what to put on the altar, mentors or people that you trust are a really great idea. My parents were a good example of that for us and our friends um, who are helping us in the real estate area and with more. uh, We consider them wise. We appreciate their advice. And so we're not trying to do this on our own. We're talking it over with people who are in our life and who know our story. And we say, this is what we think God's calling us to do. What do you think about it? And in in our case, everybody confirmed it. Like, yep, we shared the story of what, how it happened, how it came about, what we were doing and why. And all of our, our godly wise people in our life agreed. And so that's another thing you can do. Number five, journal. Now I know this is not for everybody, but I'm telling you what, if you want more out of your relationship with God, if you need breakthrough in an area of your life, sometimes you have to do things you wouldn't normally do. Journaling can be so powerful because it helps you to document what God's doing and to take an inventory, right? So you can maybe journal and just say, okay, I'm just even going to do this for a week. I'm going to give up my phone in the mornings and I'm just going to journal every day and answer a question. And here's some questions for you. What am I holding on to? Think about that. What are the things in your life where if God said, I'm going to ask you to give this up, you would have trouble? Okay, now I doubt he's going to call any of you to put your children on the altar. So don't get terrified of that. But what in your life would you, do you feel like you wouldn't be okay if God asked you to put it on the altar? And that's a great place to start your heart check. Number two, 
what areas of my life are causing stress or confusion or hardship. Just take inventory, right? God promises that he's going to show us the path of life. So where in your story is life a struggle? Where is it not going well? Because it could be an indicator. Sometimes we're called to struggle, but it could be an indicator that something's out of bounds or out of line or needs to go. A third question, what do I know God has called me to do? Okay, what do you know? How did he make you? Are you really good at baking and having people over? Are you really good at sharing the gospel? Are you really good at just helping people when they need help? Are you really good at giving gifts? Are you really good at speaking in front of people? Are you really good at singing? Like what giftings did God give you so you know he's calling you to that area? Okay, he might not speak and ask you to go give a specific thing, like go put your son on the altar, but he gave you a gift. He gave you areas of strength where you know he gave you that for his purposes and you can just walk in the confidence of that's what he's called for you. Another question you can ask yourself is where is there life in my story? Where am I seeing fruit? Where are good things happening? Like I said, God will show us the path of life. And so where in your story are good things happening? That's a great question to ponder. Where is God showing up? Where is it easy or where does it come? And you're like, holy cow, it's got to be God. I didn't even do anything. Or, wow, I'm seeing a lot of fruit at work or at home. Or where's the growth? Where's the good stuff? Where's the fruit? That's what God is doing. And that can help clue you in to what he has for you. And then finally, what is God doing that is producing fruit? And how do I make room for that? Or how do I expand on it? So once you've identified the good things, then a good thing to think about is what are my opportunities to grow that or expand that or to move forward in that? And it's like, well, my husband, he's been given the gift of coaching. What can we do to free him up so that he can coach? like that, right? And a huge step for us was to get this house away so that he doesn't have to constantly be working on it or earning money to pay for it. And then he'll be free to do the thing God has created him to do. Number six, do the hard work. Okay. This isn't just a pray, Lord, help make me a person who can say, Hanani, there might be some hard work involved with this because once you realize what you have to put on the altar, you might be called to make some changes. So for us, we had to sit down and completely redo a budget. We had to cut some things out. We had to cut subscriptions to things. We had to make changes. We had to do real hard work. And part of that was identifying, okay, what are our values? Where are we okay to spend money and where do we not need to? So we just talked about our number one value is following the Lord and doing his calling for our life. So we're willing to forsake things, take up our cross and do that. We also value being present for our four children and loving them and sharing truth with them. And that wasn't happening with Ben and I working all the time. And we also value Christian education and helping pay for that. That's a huge ticket, but we decided that is going to be a value that we have in today's day and age. And we valued being able to just give the gospel away and have people over and keep using our home. We can do that anywhere we live. Right. And so, but we had to identify our values and we had to do some budget crunching. And so all of that involved real work, but it helped us be able to lay our house on the altar because we were willing to do the hard work that went along with it. And you notice in the story, man, Isaac's going to go on the altar and he has to carry the wood on his back and Abraham's got to carry the fire. They had to do the actual work of climbing the mountain and building the altar 
And so God called them to do this thing, but then there was a lot of carry out where they had to be obedient and do it. And then God provided the ram and they had to kill the ram and sacrifice the ram. So even though, and for our story, God has miraculously provided ways out. We still have so much work ahead of us. We still have to finish our house. We still have to get it on the market. It still has to sell. We still have to find somewhere to go. I mean, it's not going to be easy, but it is opening the door for the Lord to do what he has to do. And then finally, I would just encourage you, if you've never done this, do it. I mean, you can do it in a room where no one can see. That's fine. But just close your eyes and open your hands and imagine yourself standing before the Lord with open hands and then just say the word Hanani. But practice being in that posture because then it's easier when the questions come or the calling comes or the altar moment comes. If you've already been in a position of Hanani, it's easier to take that position even when it's hard. And so, you know, Ben and I, every morning we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. So for years we've been saying, God, not our will, but yours. And that made it easier for us when he asked us to put something really special on the altar to put it there because it, it has always been our posture. But if it hasn't been yours, a great way to start is just physically get on your knees or if you can't get on your knees, open up your hands and stand before the Lord and say, here's everything I have in my hands. And I offer it to you to put on the altar. Take it. And it's just a great practice, a way to practice being in the correct posture before God so that he can use you. Isn't that so good? Hineni. I love that word. And now I'm going to just pray. And the next episode, we are going to dive into the story of Moses and his response of Hineni when God calls his name from the burning bush. It's going to be so good. So don't miss it. You join us next time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you know us by name. Thank you that you promised in Psalm 139 that before we're even born, all the pages of our life are already written in your book and that you have good things in advance that you have planned for us to do. God, you have called each and every one of our names. You have good work for us to do, but some of us, Lord, might need to put something on the altar. So I just pray, Heavenly Father, that as we listen to your word, that we are moved to take a posture like Abraham and say, Hineni to you. Lord, help us to put the things on the altar that you need us to put on the altar. Help us to be willing and ready and available to serve you. God, we can't do it on our own, so send us your spirit to empower us and to equip us to take a stance of Hineni. God, we need you, we love you, and we thank you for being the commander of our army. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Mint Podcast. More resources are available at amintageisler.com. Let's do this faith journey together.